You know, this day for many uh, decades of my life has been a joyous day. It's hard not being a joyous day when I have such a wonderful mom. And uh, so every single Mother's Day, there's this amazing rejoicing that I have. And I would come into Mother's Days historically, uh, you know, as a son, as a friend, um, and eventually as a husband, and then uh, as a pastor, just rejoicing. And then in the midst of all of that, my wife and I, after a number of years of trying to have kids of our own, uh, had a doctor say to us, if I were you, I would give up emotionally and financially never having kids. Now Mother's Day was rejoicing and... I don't know if I want to go to church this Mother's Day was the thought that I had. And I was a pastor. And for years, my wife and I struggled, longing, longing, longing to have kids of our own, to experience the joy of that. And it's seemingly that God wasn't answering those prayers. There were Mother's Days where I would show up to church at that time as a pastor. Uh, physically, in my heart, my mind were not in it. I think about mornings uh, driving up to church, my wife just in tears. Mother's Day. Some of you here uh, in this moment have lost a loved one. Pastor Care mentioned a moment ago, this is the first Mother's Day without her beloved mom. And we weep with you. There are some here in this room that your mom right now is in the hospital. I know the Wolves this week, not Jane Catherine, but uh, Chris and Kristen, they had their, their second child on Thursday. What a Mother's Day. No sleep, but what a Mother's Day, right? Uh, you know, some of you, you've already bought your flowers. Some of you are like, oh, it's Mother's Day. i got to buy my flowers. You know, we come into this moment and we, we've got a, a huge range of emotion. You know, life is that way, huge range of emotion. And Mother's Day it seems to acutely uh, highlight the rejoicing and acutely highlight the weeping while acknowledging that there's a massive spectrum in between the two that all of us fall into and that all of us perhaps carry within ourselves. Well, in a moment, we're going to go to Scripture, and I don't have a Mother's Day message for you. I have a Gospel of Jesus message for you, and it's going to be for moms. And it's going to be for those who can't be moms. It's going to be for those who have phenomenal moms. It's going to be for those who have never met their moms. The gospel's for everybody, and it happens to be Mother's Day. So in the midst of that, why don't we open up God's word? This is a tremendous text. We, we chose this months ago, and as we come to this passage, uh, it, it's so amazing that it's perfect for Mother's Day and perfect for every day. In fact, page 884 in your pew Bibles, uh, the New Revised Standard Version is the, the translation that we have uh, that red book in the pews if you want to grab that if you don't own a bible take it with you we would rather have it in your hands and in your life speaking hope and truth and love in, in profound ways rather than it sitting in the pews all week and if you're joining us online again it's john 21 verses 15 through 19 this is a famous passage of scripture and what we're doing in these weeks beginning on easter moving to pentecost which is on june 9th this year we're taking a look at particular resurrection appearances where Jesus, after he has defeated death, interacts with other people and how he transforms them in the midst of what they are experiencing. So this is John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He, this is Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, to Peter, follow me. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. All right, I don't have three points. I always have three points. No three points today. But if you're taking notes, one question. Why would Jesus seemingly ask the same question three times? How many of you have ever, not just read this passage, but how many of you have ever heard a sermon on this passage of Scripture? Put those hands up really, really high. Okay, so maybe half in the room. Okay, the other half is your first time. Now, uh, I've preached this sermon many times, and often what I've heard and often what I've preached is this. (laughs) Well, the English. The English has one word for love, and it's... That's not a trick question. It's love. Right? Let's do that again. Uh, English has uh, one word for love, and it's... There we go. But in the Greek language, there's multiple words for the word love. And I've heard it said, and I've preached before. You've got to understand the Greek, which the Greek is the language of the New Testament. And in fact, though it says love with one English word, love, there's two different words in the Greek that are used. I've heard it said, and I've preached before. Ah, let's take a look. So hang with me here. This is what I've heard, and this is what I've said before but there's something more. Take a look. Now, in this interaction, Jesus seems to answer or ask the same question three different times the same way. Well, this is what he says. In John 21, 15, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Greek word that he uses there is the the word agape. Let me hear you say agape. Now, I've heard it said before, and I've said it too. That this kind of love is like a God kind of love, like a self-sacrificing, unconditional, you know, like the real kind of love. Because I've heard preachers also say, listen to how Peter responds. He doesn't say, of course I agape you. He says, well, you know, Lord, that I phileo you. It's where we get the city Philadelphia from. Let me hear you say phileo. So I've heard preachers say, and I've said it before, that this is kind of like a brotherly love, a sibling sort of love, like an affectionate love, kind of a human love, a lesser form of love. I've heard preachers say, I've said it before. What's interesting is then Jesus asks the question again, and he uses the the word agape, even though Peter just says, I kind of like you, I'm, I'm... 
Jesus says, well, do you love me? Do you agape me? And then Peter says, I phileo you. It's kind of like, and I've heard preachers say, and I've said it before, it's kind of like Peter drops the bar and says, yeah, I, you know, I kind of like you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I respect you. I'm affectionate towards you. And I've got this brotherly love for you. And here's what's amazing. And I've heard preachers say before, and I've said it before, that Jesus, when he asks the question the third time, he changes the word for love. He doesn't say, do you agape me? He comes to Peter's level and he says, do you phileo me? Do you love me? Preachers have said before, and I've said before, with just a human form of love. And I've heard it before and I've said it before. That it's as if Jesus meets us in our lesser forms of love and says, that's okay. That's fine. I'll settle with you. But I love you even though you love me with a lesser form of love. How many of you have ever heard a sermon like that before? How many of you have ever heard me say that before? Some of you are like, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. That hand went way up in the back. I saw that nice. It's not less than that. It's a lot more than that. Now, you see, we live in a world, especially in the West, especially post-enlightenment, where we like to fit things neatly into categories. We live in an either-or sort of world. And now in the English language, we've got one word for love, which is love, yes. We begin to think that there are different neat categories for these Greek words of loves and we think that perhaps agape is like the real version and phileo is kind of like the lesser version and we should aim for the agape. Not at all. In fact, there's proof that these words are so much more profound than those nice, neat little boxes. And I'm going to go right out and say the reason why we... Uh, well, let's hold that for a bit. Open those Bibles back up. What's fascinating here is that there's multiple points where the gospel writers use these words interchangeably. Hold those Bibles up, and once you go to John 3.16. You've seen it before. You've seen it in football games. You've got it on a coffee mug. I've seen some of you have it as a tattoo. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That's the, the word for Agape. So that kind of perpetuates this idea, okay, it's this God-level love. But John 3.19, three verses later, same author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in verse 19 says this, and this is the judgment that the light has come in the, in the world and people loved, people agaped the darkness. So right there in that moment, we see that there's a way that, that people can love with an agape sort of love. And the object of that agape sort of love isn't God, it's darkness, it's selfishness, it's bitterness, it's hate, it's, it's betrayal, it's all the things that, that make our relationships. And, and for some of us, Mother's Day really messy because some people give themselves over to the darkness. Give themselves over to brokenness. In fact, there's another part in the New Testament where it says that the Pharisees, these were the, 
the religious leaders of the day, they actually loved, they agaped the highest seats of honor. They gave themselves over to being the center of attention. That was a very broken thing, a very human thing. So we can't say that agape is just the only way that God loves. In fact, even more so, it says this, that God the Father loves God the Son with a phileo type of love. God's love is not less than. God's love is not second rate. You would think that God the Father loves God the Son in a God sort of way. And he says, yes, he does. It's agape sometimes and it's phileo sometimes. In fact, it is so much more profoundly, beautifully multidimensional than just one narrow way. You see, at the heart of this passage, I believe, isn't so much that Peter is loving Jesus with a lesser form of love. He is loving Jesus with a narrow definition of love. And perhaps some of us, we have our definitions of love. I could march you up and we could get the microphone and I could say, can you define love for me in one sentence? And I believe that every single one of us perhaps would have a very different, even if it was nuanced, answer compared to the next person before us. And many of us, we live in a world, especially on Mother's Day, some of us do this, where we look out and we, uh, we categorize things as better than and worse than. And maybe some of you are like this. You look out, especially on Mother's Day, maybe some of you who are moms or, or aunts or grandparents or, you know, you've raised up the next generation. You look out on social media, you look across the room, you see other parents and you're like, how do they pull it off? I mean, look at their kids. They look perfect. Look at those photos. They look like they're always having fun. And some of us, when we look out onto the world, we think that our love and our life and our family is somehow less than, and we we walk around kind of filled with shame, filled with guilt, filled with regret. We look at the camera roll on our phone, we're like, that I I there's nothing here that I can put on Instagram. <laughs> no filter is gonna help. I don't know. What do I do? You know? And then some of us are on the other end of the spectrum, and we look out on this place, we'll go to a brunch, we'll look on social media, and we'll give the opposite perspective, we'll say, what are they, what a mess their life is. What is their kid wearing? I mean, I've, I've seen it, I've heard it. I've said it sometimes. What are they doing? Why are they, what? And so some of us can have this, this pride that we think that we're, that we're better than. I believe that Jesus in this moment for you, if you feel like the world is better than you, he's got a message for you. And for some of you who perhaps you feel like you are better than the rest of the world, oh, he's got a message for you. Uh, And for some of us who are nowhere on that spectrum, he's got a message for you. I had more and more people walk out of the service this morning and say, I was not expecting that. And I said, what? The Holy Spirit to do that through that passage because I did not know where you were going. Amen. So let's keep going. Here's what's fascinating. Jesus asked Simon, one of his followers, who, by the way, is mentioned more frequently than any other disciple, who, by the way, is always listed first whenever there's a list of names, 
who, oh, by the way, is praised more than any other disciple, who, oh, by the way, makes more mistakes than any other disciple, who, oh, by the way, is actually rebuked by Jesus and referred to as Satan. I mean, can anybody relate to this guy? Like, he is all, I can, he's all over the place. And many of us, we might perhaps uh, read this and we know the backstory of Simon, also known as Peter. And perhaps some of us are hearing this passage for the first time and you're kind of like watching this scene and reading this scene and it doesn't make sense. You're kind of like a, a parent with young kids. You never get to watch the whole movie all the way through. You kind of like see a scene and you're like, well, that's nice, back to the kid, right? But for those of you who can actually watch a movie all the way through, you know what it's like to experience a great film where there's things that happen along the way and there's twists and turns and ups and downs and you know, setbacks and amazing things and you finally get to the end and all of a sudden there's that scene and you're like, oh, it all came together. I can't, wow. Which is an experience that young parents never have anymore because they don't have the backstory. And so some of us, we read this passage, we don't have the backstory, and we're like, I don't, I still, why would Jesus ask the same question and change the language? But for some of us who know the story of the New Testament, who know the story of Simon Peter and Jesus, perhaps you read this and you hear this, you remember this, and you go, I see what just happened. I want to show you something. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look again at John 21. Maybe uh, after you buy the flowers that you haven't bought yet, you can read this. Before the brunch, before you get home. John 21. I won't read it now, but if you read this a little bit later, you'll see that there's a scene that unfolds right before that interaction. The scene goes like this. Uh, The disciples are fishing. They can't catch any fish. Jesus shows up. He says, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat over here? They do that, and they pull in a massive haul of fish. Now, this has happened before. If you've read the New Testament before, if you can remember the earlier parts of the film, the story, there's, there's a moment. In fact, it's where Jesus first encounters Peter, where they're fishing. They catch nothing. He says, why don't you cast the net over there? And he casts it over there, and he pulls in this massive haul of fish. All of a sudden, <gasps> there's some parallels here. John, the writer, is, is referring back to something. But there's more. On that first scene, how does Peter respond? He doesn't say, thank you, now I've got fish. He basically says, woe is me, I'm a man, I'm not even holy to be in your sight. And now in this setting, he jumps out of the boat and he tries to rush. How do you rush in water? You don't. He's trudging through the water at Jesus. Something's happened. They get out of the water. They begin cooking food. And they sit around a charcoal fire. Let me hear you say charcoal fire. You're like, why did you make me say charcoal fire? Well, in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, it literally says charcoal fire. John 21, take a look. Open it up. Let's see what it says in the English language. So fascinating. Verse 9. When they had gone ashore, they saw a, oh, it does say it, a charcoal fire. 
Does your say it? How many of you, does your Bible say a charcoal fire? Now, how many of you do you have a translation that just says fire? Yeah, some people have that as well. In the Greek language, it says a charcoal fire. Now, if you go back and you read uh, Homer's Iliad, you know, that fictional, amazing piece of literature, it never goes into the level of detail that the New Testament goes into. In fact, the New Testament will say, there was 173 fish that they pulled in. When you read Homer's Iliad, it doesn't go into the details. It just says they caught a lot of fish. Now, why would you say it's a charcoal fire and 173 fish unless it didn't happen? You see, John is saying these details because it did happen. He did see it. Historically, it's true. He says it's not just a fire. It's a charcoal fire. And this is how many fish they caught. And if you've read the story of the New Testament, you go, I know there's one other scene in the New Testament where there's a charcoal fire. The writer of John is, is calling something back. I mean, it's like Scorsese at his best. This is like Spielberg. And it, I mean, this is, he said, wow. What's the other scene? I want to show it to you. Luke 22. And I want you to listen for the pattern of threes. Remember, Jesus around this charcoal fire asked a question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? The only other time in the New Testament where there is a charcoal fire, Simon Peter happens to be sitting next to that fire as well. Luke 22, verse 54. Then they seized him. This is Jesus. This is his arrest. This is roughly eight days prior to that question and answer session on the beach around the charcoal fire. They seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire. Now in the Greek language it says a charcoal fire. In the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl seen him in the firelight of the charcoal fire. I mean, just, just picture the scene. Perhaps the same size. The same degree of warmth. Sitting perhaps at the same distance. The same smell, the same feel, the same experience. Now, the servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man also was with them. But he, Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else, unseen him, said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Now a second time, Man, I am not. Then about an hour later, still another kept insisting, surely this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, now a third time, man, I do not know that or what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. <laughs> Took me all week to get that good. It was better at the nine. I, I gave it all to the nine o'clock. Now, some of you, like young parents, you're like coming into this scene, don't know the rest of the story, and you're like, what is that about? But some of you are like, oh, it happened. I know what's happening. I know what's happening. Some of you are like, I know that Jesus said to Peter, you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You're going to do it. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that. I love you. 
in fact, I love you more than all these other disciples. And Jesus says, before the cock crows, you will deny me not once, twice, but three times. It's happened around a charcoal fire. The gospel writer Mark goes into even more detail, and it says that Peter begins to curse. Trying to distance himself from Jesus. Now, how many of you have ever said something uh, to a loved one that you regret? Okay, good. Good company. Okay. Now, how many of you have ever said something that you wish you didn't say to a loved one, not just in your heart, not just privately, but in a way, publicly, or it got to somebody... Basically that they heard or saw what you said. Anybody have those regrets, public regrets? Okay. Well, you're in good company because listen to this. Take a look. Verse 61. Who is there to hear Peter deny him three times? Who is there to hear him cussing, cursing, swearing? Jesus. 61, the Lord. It's Jesus. Turned and looked at Peter. I have no idea what went through Peter's heart in that moment. But Jesus didn't have to say anything for Peter's heart to be broken at what he just did. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That was the last thing that Peter said that Jesus heard before he died. How many of you, in the honesty of this moment, have some things that you said to a loved one and it was the last thing you said to them before they passed away and you deeply regret it? It takes a lot of courage to put those hands up. I imagine there's more in the moment because you're like, why did you bring that up? I love how Jesus heals Peter. And I love how Jesus can heal you. You see, Jesus doesn't just pick a cafe. He doesn't just pick a street. He picks a charcoal fire. The same setting. He doesn't just ask him once. He asks him as many times as Peter denied him. And what's so amazing, what I missed for so many years, and I, and I, and I, just, I just missed it for so many years. We focus so much on the question, we focus so much on the answer, but we overlook the fact that Jesus responds to Peter's answer to Jesus' question by saying this. Feed my sheep. Let's take a step back. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Like a self-sacrificing, a giving your life over to, like a, like a profoundly giving of your life over to. Do you, do you love me in that sort of way? And Peter says, no, I, I, you know, I kind of love you in this sort of way, as a friend, a warmth, an affectionate way, as a brother. And Jesus doesn't say wrong. He doesn't say, I gotta, you got to come on, get up to my level. He says, feed my sheep. I want you to go love 
my people. I want you to serve my people. I want you to lead my church. I want you to be part of the greatest movement the world has ever known. I want to love through you, Peter. Even though you have a one-dimensional view of love. And after every single question, after every single one of Peter's answers, Jesus says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to fuel you to be the method, to be the instrument through which I love the world with an agape sort of love and a phileo sort of love. I want to expand in you through the Holy Spirit, Peter, and all my followers, Bel Air Church, that you would love in such a multidimensional sort of way that you would not only love me with a friendship and a kindness and a, and a closeness and a warmth, but you would give your life over to me in this cause and to self-sacrificingly do it. Jesus wants to heal you. And he's not going to wait until you get the right answer. He's going to meet you in the midst of whatever definition you have of Jesus. And if you begin to look at him, even though it's not completely fully accurate, he says, that's enough. Now follow me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the right me. I want you to hear my word. I want you to grow in this understanding of the knowledge of who I am, the identity of which I've given you, the love that I have for you. And I want to expand it more and more and more and more. You know what's so remarkable? Peter, for fear of being put to death, denied Jesus. Jesus heals him. Jesus restores him. Jesus sends him out. And history tells us that his love was expanded so much in his life that ultimately he went to his death. But he didn't just go to his death. In fact, I've stood at the historical place in Rome where Peter was killed. And you can check the history books. You can check this, this documented fact that, that Peter was crucified. And it's documented that not only was Peter crucified, but the last thing that he said before he was crucified was to his executors. He says, no, 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 no. I am not worthy. Think about this language. Think about the love. Think about giving yourself over to someone and a movement and a cause that is greater than yourself. He says, I am not even worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. His death is too good for me. That's what Peter's saying. I love him that much. I'm giving my life over to him so much that even crucifying, I'm not worthy of that. And so what did they do? They crucified him upside down. Who does that? Someone who allowed Jesus to meet them in the midst of their one-dimensional, perhaps too narrow view of love. Who received the call of God on their life. Who obediently followed. And was humble enough to say that, wow, Jesus, grow my understanding of love. Perhaps some of you are here today and your view of how you love your kids needs to be expanded. Jesus wants to do that. Maybe some of you, your, your view of your, your mom is needing of expansion. Maybe some of you, motherhood isn't playing at all. And your view of love needs to be expanded. Hear the same voice that says to Peter, do you love me? 
And regardless of the depth of the answer, he says, let me use you. Let me love the world through you with a perfect love. Would you be open to that today? On this Sunday? On this Mother's Day? A perfect voice of love speaking into your life and saying, I want to expand it. I want to grow it. I want to magnify it. God says, for his purposes. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment. And as we gather in this place, we thank you that there are men and women who are here part of this church who choose to follow you, Jesus. Would you expand our hearts? Would you expand our minds? Would your love be perfected in us and would it grow through the power of your spirit? It's in your name we pray. Amen.